We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of the Her Hoop Stats Unplugged podcast. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and it's our last Unplugged episode of 2019. So, you know, happy holidays to everyone. Looking forward to 2020 and new the new conference schedules coming up in NCAA basketball, specifically the Pac-12, probably, you know, the deepest conference in the NCAA right now. You know, they've got five teams in the top 25, three in the top five, five of the 12 undefeated teams left in the country. Um, So a really strong conference this year, and we're breaking all of that down on this episode. Uh, So without further ado, I'm here today with our West Coast Hoops editor, Ben Dole. Hey, Ben. Hey there. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, uh, we had this like week... We're like mostly through like this really quiet stretch right here where there's aren't a lot of games going on. So it's good to good to kind of get to the other side of that. Definitely agreed. Yeah, I feel like it's I haven't really watched that much basketball this week and I'm like feels off. It feels very off. But yeah, definitely excited to get back into the swing of things. Some bigger games coming up next week, even though we've got Christmas kind of jumping in the middle of it the week after again, but we'll be exciting kind of heading out rounding out the year and going into conference play so speaking of conference play we're going to talk all about the pac-12 today um i think everyone would probably agree it's the best conference in women's basketball this year just really deep really strong at the top especially Um, so so much to talk about there from top to bottom i guess we can start at the top um so we've got you know three teams right now in the top five of the AP poll from the Pac-12 with Stanford on top and then Oregon at three and Oregon State at four. So the, you know, upper northern region of, I guess, the Pac-12 all on the top of the rankings. Any thoughts on those three teams to start off with? You know, do you have a favorite to win it all or to win the regular season in the Pac-12 or anything big to talk about from their non-conference schedule so far? It's if you if you went for more of a just like a quick glancing blow it's it's really like not a lot different than we expected right the lone loss for those three teams was Oregon to Louisville you know that's that's one of those losses that should qualify as you know it's not you know unless you get blown out completely blown out like there's not really a reasonable person wouldn't hold that against Oregon so in a way I don't think there's really a ton that you would say has really changed or it's just, you know, those, those three other teams we all had kind of circled and, and really it's just more about injuries, you know, for Oregon state and Stanford, Stanford is starting to pile up 
a list, and we'll we'll see these last couple games if if uh, if Lacey Hall and Dijon Carrington return. But then Oregon State losing Taya Corsdale for what looks like the season a starting forward for them that that's it's definitely going to hurt against those other top two teams. They're they're just not going to get around that no matter how good the other freshmen are. So in not to write Oregon State off completely, but I think Stanford or Oregon would probably still be the two teams you're you're circling as the favorites. And I think it might just come down to, you know, on one hand you might just say, hey, Sabrina, Satu, Ruthie, those three are just so good. I'm taking Oregon. Or maybe you just say, hey, Stanford has all these bodies, whereas Oregon's looking pretty thin and maybe maybe people are siding with them. Agree. I definitely kind of agree with that. All Oregon has that like three-headed monster in their three key players there. That it's really hard for any team in the country really to shut down. And Louis did, Louisville did do a good job of it, but I doubt we'll see it very often this season. But Stanford is so deep. I think it was in their last non-conference game on yesterday against Ohio State. They had like 22 points off the bench, um, so they get a lot of production from their bench players. There's not, and that's with those two injuries already um, out of the lineup. So, a lot going on there. Um, definitely a lot of key players on that team that can kind of step up when they need them to. And this is maybe a little. This is more like a philosophical thing, but I think you look at it too as, and this is definitely colored by like that recent UConn's recent, well, I mean, most of UConn's decade that they've had, but also like, you're just looking at it too. I think whether people are going to admit it or not, you know, it, you don't really want to go, you don't really want to have to think about going undefeated. So the fact that you know that you're playing someone good and you know, it's probably a lot easier to highlight some of the stuff you'd want to learn when you actually lose a game to someone good, you know, to see that happen for Oregon and a few other teams across the country and obviously these big three are going to run into each other and beat each other up and I doubt anyone's just going to you know completely dominate that entire group so I, I guess it kind of gets into that question too which I think is interesting of of you don't really want to say it out loud but like yeah it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to to run into good teams that are going to beat you Oh, definitely agreed. It helps prepare, especially for March when everything really matters. But yeah, agreed. No one's coming out of the Pac-12 undefeated for Pac-12 play. If it happens, I'll be absolutely shocked. I just can't imagine that that would be possible with this the strength and the depth of the conference. Yeah, if if we really wanted to like split hairs, I think with with Stanford, maybe you could start to think about that if if a couple of the freshmen just continue to rise and they actually got, you actually knew that they were going to get Carrington and Maya Dodson back, which we don't really know a lot about right now, but then Oregon, you know, if they, if they actually have their whole roster, I think you're definitely, you're talking about what could have been like an all time team, just completely blowing through their schedule. If Sedona Prince, her waiver gets, uh, is granted. And then that's their backup center behind Ruthie Hebert and then Niara Sabli doesn't hurt her knee for a second year in a row. And then that's their four. And then you have this team that can also just be huge and, and just have a, a completely different look that they can throw at somebody that that version of Oregon two, where they go even bigger would be just as good as anyone else in the country that tried to go big. Yeah, definitely. Um, really strong lineup there. Had they had some of those pieces they were hoping to have, they might have run the table in the Pac-12, which, as we've already said about the depth of it, would be something extremely impressive to do. Um, but it will be interesting to see kind of how all that plays out starting in January at the top. Um, but I think not just at the top, even like kind of the next tier of teams you've got, I mean, those three teams in the top five, but then you've got UCLA in the top 10 of the AP poll right now. And then Arizona hanging on at 18th. Um, they're still undefeated. And then you've even got votes in the AP poll for Colorado and Arizona state. So there's a whole lot of um, Pac-12 teams giving some, you know, top 25 recognition or at least uh, votes that they could be up there at some point. So that's definitely been interesting to see. Um, I think Arizona is probably one of the more, 
interesting ones there. And we got a question on Twitter about, you know, are they a contender or pretender this year? I would definitely have them as a contender. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that off the bat. Yeah, I think they are. I, I picked them to finish fourth in the Pac-12 before the season started. And if anything, you'd probably be emboldened by how they've played so far. And really looking at talking about Arizona, it's a perfect team to kind of just bring up to also point to some of the other teams that are towards the bottom of the rankings slash receiving votes, you know, South Dakota finally got in the top 25, which is just ridiculous, but it just, I think that's like, like Arizona is an example of just seeing how sometimes it's, it's just easier to lag behind embracing the new thing. Cause one, everyone wants naturally wants to be cautious, but also it's just, and look like people, you know, I, I pay for a streaming service just so I can get the Pac-12 network. So people don't need to lecture me on how tough it is to get the Pac-12 networks. But, but people, I mean, if people are just slow on Arizona. It's okay to say that, you know, it became, it was painfully clear a few games into last season. Okay. This is, this is who Ari McDonald is. And, you know, the thing, the thing that comes up over and over again is, you know, why, why are they good? You can point to a lot of different stuff, but they have a player where she can go out there. It doesn't matter who they're playing against and she can go be the best player for 40 minutes. And, you know, most teams in that range don't quite have a player of that level, in in my opinion. Right. Yeah. She's been insane so far for them this season. She's averaging almost 20 points a game and she's only playing like 26 and a half minutes a game. So if you have her on the court for 40 minutes, you could expect a lot more than that. But uh, she's just an explosive player on offense um, and has been really great for them so far. And I'm sure we'll continue to be into the Pac-12 season. Um, Teams, even at the top, if they can't find a way to kind of contain her, they could run into some trouble with Arizona, definitely, on that Pac-12 schedule. So should we, and should we take that question and kind of try to define, you know, I guess, what do we really mean by contender? You know, the question didn't specify, but I I mean, I guess you can start and just like, just take it for yourself. I mean, really define it however you want. Yeah, so I wouldn't say they're a contender to, you know, win the Pac-12. I think that would be... If that happened, that'd be pretty wild. But they're definitely a tournament team. Um, definitely a contender to pull off some upsets during the Pac-12 regular season. Um, you could see them, you know, stealing a game over Oregon or Oregon State or Stanford at some point. Um, especially their defense has just been incredibly strong this year. They haven't, you know, really played anyone significant quite yet. But they're like leading the country in um, holding opponents to just like 61 points per 100 possessions. They have the lowest opponent field goal percentage in the country. So their defense, in addition to having the explosive office of Ari McDonald, has been incredible. So a team that really could come away and steal a win over any of these good teams and could will definitely, in my opinion, finish in the top half of the Pac-12. Yeah, I would... I think the way to look at it as is they're they're definitely in the they're eighteen right now. You know they're in that ballpark eighteen to twenty five definite consideration for one of those spots, and that shouldn't change throughout the season. And you know, barring some kind of catastrophe, so I think the way to look at it for them is. They only play the Bay Area schools once. So you get five cracks at the Oregon schools and then Stanford, which is at home, the Stanford game, at least that's nice. And they took them, they almost uh, beat them at Haas last year, uh, which was again, like one of those moments where they definitely, where they really showed something. If they win, you know, I think, I think the blueprint is you'd say, okay, we win one of those games we win the rest of the games we're supposed to save for UCLA. You know, I think they should be, you should look at them as the favorite in, in the rest of those games, which I think is the better way to look at it. Obviously anything can happen in one game. So if they get one of those high profile wins, they win the rest of what they're supposed to. And then it really might come down to how they do against UCLA with them. You probably look at them as the, the main contenders to be the number four, number five teams 
plus whatever they can do in the Pac-12 tournament that can give you a chance to get one or two more big wins. And then that can really, you know, boil down to UCLA, Arizona, one, maybe UCLA, they're in the conversation for a three seed, maybe in Arizona. I I would be looking at it as like, we should be, we should, if we do what we're supposed to, we should be in contention for a four seed. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely see that happening. And then, um, yeah, boiling back down to how they do against UCLA. I do think that actually UCLA is probably my favorite to beat number four. I boldly said in our like season preview that they could win the Pac-12. I'm, it's a more of a scheduling clerk than anything than that for them. They don't have to play any of those, you know, top three teams more than once. They play them each only once and they play Oregon State and Oregon both at home so they do have a little bit of an advantage there to kind of you know pull off an upset and then not have to um, face off against them multiple times but so I would still have them at probably at fourth over Arizona but I think those games are going to be some of the most exciting of the Pac-12 regular season when UCLA and Arizona play it should be a really really solid game well that UCLA is an interesting team to bring up you know, for Arizona, their win over Texas is obviously going to do, it's going to be doing a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting for them, right? That's something you're going to want to tout. And it's, you would think it'd be tough for Texas to not look better by the end of the season than they did in that moment. Right. You know, I mean, they, they would just have to completely unravel and, and give way to a bunch of injuries. And, and that, that circles back to the schedule for UCLA this year, right? The, the best win you know, they're about to play Georgia. It's, I don't think you're going to, I don't really see it very likely that that ends up looking like an awesome win. Just, this, just where that, where Georgia's at right now, but they've got, they've got Indiana, which I think you would, that could end up looking like an even better win. So both these teams have that one, that one non-conference game that can really be an important chip on their resume. But then you mentioned, I mean, I, I think it's like, I think it's, you mentioned it as a quirk. I think it's endlessly fascinating. Like UCLA, like should you have scheduled a little tougher knowing this, how the schedule broke. And if they like somehow win two of those three games, like it just, like it just really has the making for just, I mean, really like a, one of the better, one of the better seasons in their history, if, if it all works out. Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to that Indiana game, I think that's a huge one for them. A non-conference, we haven't really seen them against a like tougher level of opponent yet. So I think one that'll be a good you know, kind of gauge of where they really are against some more top-level competition, but also a really strong resume booster if they pull off the win, especially because it's at Indiana as well. Um, so that'll be a good one to kind of get under their belt before heading into the grueling Pac-12 schedule, even if theirs is a little bit less grueling than some other teams. Yeah, so we we've got the we've got we're split on on kind of four versus five with you favoring UCLA slightly, and I had picked Arizona, and I would I would stick with that if I repicked it today. So it's they play each other for the first time January fifth in LA. And depending how that Indiana game ends up looking, you might get to that point for UCLA, and that could be the day where you kind of wonder, like, man, okay, we've, we're, uh, let's see, that we're, you know, we're how many games in? They will be. That'll be their fourteenth game by then, and you could be saying, man, this kind of might be like, you know, they did they did beat Virginia, but they could get to that point, and if they get beat, like I think. Just from from looking at it from the outside in, or even if I try to put myself in the shoes of a fan, it's like, man, we got this. We got to this point in the season, and this has been our second, only our second, like really tough game. And you know, like, what if Arizona like cleans their clock, and then obviously like last like last year is the perfect example. They they rounded into form and they they close the season great, but just to not, you know, to hit that to hit that first big conference game, I think it just this is the season where I just, yeah, I might, I'm probably fixating on this too much, but I think it just, this feels like a season where you really would have wanted to make sure you're hitting the ground running when conference starts. And I just don't think that's totally possible with, and they have a lot of freshmen putting that aside, but just Mm -hmm. that probably wasn't really possible with what they scheduled. 
Yeah, definitely agreed. They haven't really played a schedule so far that's preparing them for what they're going to see in the Pac-12 pretty much day in and day out in the Pac-12. I mean, even I think the bottom of the Pac-12 is a better team than a lot of the teams that they've played so far this season. So it'll definitely be kind of a, a big change for them heading into January. Yeah, I, I, to, to transition with out of that with what you just said, I, th- that that's exactly right. I think the last... The last couple of years, at a couple of different points, I was, I, I, I did, at times I did really want to push back because, you know, one, of course, like every coach is selling, you know, their conference, like their life depends on it, right? Oh, it's, you know, we're playing the toughest teams in America. It's so tough. It's so hard at every, you know, there's no easy games, right? It's, they're all going to say that. And at times, like, yeah, they were, it did feel like they were just saying that. I think this year, this year, they that might take a big, a, a much bigger step towards actually playing out that way. And you look at Utah so far, probably looking a bit, looking better than most people would have. Ex- I think most would have expected a little bit more of a dip and the, you know, their record, they sit at six and three, but you know, they played South Dakota tough. They dropped their first two, to Cincinnati and Xavier. But I just think the way they're playing, I think some of the, the pieces they brought in are going to help them sustain how they did when they had better individual talent last year. Right. And then even, you know, Washington, I think this is kind of the year you would expect them to look a little more competitive game in, game out in the third year for Jody Wynn. But then, then Cal at 7-2 and two with already beating Arkansas and they're going to play Kentucky again. And by the time people, some people listen to this, maybe they beat Kentucky too. That's a huge win for them. I was going to say Cal played UConn really close in that first opening game of the season too. I mean, that might've been more of a statement about where UConn was at at the start, but also just a close, you know, kind of game right off the bat, which made them look a lot better than I think people would have thought. Well, and you can, I mean, but you and you can I think you can go you can obviously go both ways than that with that and I think that has to be in Cal's favor too. I mean they you could argue they lost their four most important players and where and Christina Nigue was one of the you know one of the top five players and you know how much does that team actually depend on that player? You know she was up there and then the last team I was going to bring up was was Colorado. They're nine and zero. Does it mean a lot? Maybe not. They haven't played a ton of, they haven't played an awesome schedule either, but that could be, that's another team towards the bottom where it, there's, there's at least a little, there are at least some breadcrumbs there where you could, you could maybe start to follow those and already build the case that the bottom, the bottom is going to look, is going to look a lot tougher. Yeah, definitely agreed. I was just kind of looking at the numbers earlier and all the teams in the Pac-12 by the Her Hoop Stats rating, and all of them are in the top. Every single team in the conference is in the top 100 on the Her Hoop Stats rating right now, and 10 out of 12 are in the top 60. So that kind of just gives a picture quickly of like how deep the conference really is. Um, definitely strong. But going back to kind of those, you know, couple teams you mentioned that were undefeated, we had another question from Twitter that was how many of those teams that are undefeated? So right now from the Pac-12, it's Arizona, Colorado, Oregon State, UCLA, and Stanford. How many of those do you think kind of head into the conference seat or conference schedule still undefeated? And that's, we got five teams, right? That's Colorado. Would probably, I would probably say four. Or I think Colorado, they're about to play UAB. I think that's one where they, their uh, undefeated stretch might finally get snapped. If not, if not by UAB, they they have to play a second game in two days against Tulane, who knocked off Washington earlier in the season. But I think, I think the other four you can expect that'd probably be the way to go for them to finish out. You know, the really the really tough, the really tough games, other than. That back to back for Colorado, you're obviously looking at Stanford playing Tennessee and then at Texas, and it's it's kind of interesting coming off the Ohio State game where, as mentioned, Maya Dodson's still in a boot, uh, DJ Carrington's still not playing, which you know if if we get to if the calendar turns and that's still the case, I think you start to get a little concerned, and 
And then uh, Lacey Hall didn't play in that game either. So it's, you know, we talk about how awesome the depth is. And then like now it's now that's, you know, that was a ne- that was necessary. And now they're just going to have, we'll see how long they have to kind of make do without their full complement. Right, yeah, that Texas game kind of strikes me as one that can be a bit of a trap game. It's three days before Christmas, you've got, you're on the road, um, and it's a still pretty strong opponent, especially with the injuries that they're facing right now, is one to kind of keep an eye on. I still think Stanford will win it, but it's one of those ones that could end up being more interesting than you might expect. And then I think the other one is that UCLA-Indiana game we were already talking about we could kind of go either way. Um, so another one that maybe um ucla could lose before the conference season oh yeah i i argued against myself there i already said (laughs) that yeah indiana i would pick indiana to win that game like they should be favored being at home so i would throw that i would throw that one out too so i would so probably so i guess my answer would be two stanford and uh and oregon state to make it out the other side but the the texas Texas doing as like doing well, as you mentioned, like that would really throw a whole wrench into the whole calculus of, Hey, Arizona blew them out. But then if they take down the number one team, you know, that would, that would be really, that would be interesting to, to fast forward to those, to how people are going to try to process that in March as they, if they, you know, factoring in seating and all that. Yeah, definitely. It's always a kind of interesting thing though. I do think Texas is a team that will be much stronger in March than they are. Right, or were at the beginning of the season when they played Arizona, and they're already, I think, stronger than that. So it's kind of an interesting thing to watch how they're kind of evolving a little bit, but definitely one that makes it hard to kind of decipher what that all means when you try to make a bracket. I have I have one question with the schedule. I wonder how for for really for every everything that every tool number or whatever that could be used to talk about resumes. I wonder how much the mere fact that Washington State scheduled so tough is going to help, you know, them or the conference at large. Like the fact that they played Baylor, South Carolina, Indiana, Gonzaga, Miami, <laughs> and they've lost four. That they're probably going to lose all five of those. Duh, I wonder how much, you know, say like acknowledging I'm not an expert in in all those metrics and whatnot. Like how much does that? actually going to affect is that actually going to factor in for look when people look at kind of a one one glance thing for the conference at large where really you know those losses shouldn't really tell you anything you know the some those teams blowing out you know a, what this eighth tenth best team in the pac 12 but i just i wonder you know what that what that how much that might actually come into come into play and just I don't know. I think it's just an interesting question. Yeah, I haven't really thought about it, but it is an interesting point. They have played an extremely tough um, kind of schedule in the non-conference, and they still have Miami that they haven't played yet uh, before they start conference play. And then they've got to play, you know, the Stanford's and Oregon's, Oregon State's, throw UCLA and Arizona in there as really tough teams as well. So be kind of interesting to see how that impacts them down the road. I do think it probably helps them, you know, heading into the Pac-12, right? Maybe they steal a couple games that they against more the middle of the conference that they wouldn't be expected to win. But just having that kind of experience under their belt um, kind of helps them to be a little bit stronger than the Pac-12 than we might have expected. I hope so. I don't, I can't, I've, I've watched, I've watched those games they've played against, against those high profile opponents and, and the, and the Boise State game, which they won to their credit. I I just, I worry. And this, this is one of the teams where if they just, if they just completely, if they can't hold any water, you know, then you have to remember. And just as a viewer, as a viewer, I'm so conflicted because they have two, the two of the best players in the conference in Chanel Molina and Borislava Hristova. And this is the senior season for each of them respectively. And, you know, the big, the big fear is just, do they have enough around them to where it will even make a difference? And, you know, yeah, for now, I I definitely side with what you're saying is you just hope, you just hope that, 
while the results that they got on the scoreboard aren't aren't obviously aren't very different from what you would have expected, you would just hope that that they took enough from those, that it hardened them enough, whatever they may have needed most to where it can actually make a difference when they run into some of the good teams in conference and and like you said, you know, pull off a pull off wins, but even just even just play more close games too. I mean, just really just you know, we want to see, you know, Molina and Hristova just like Let's see him play in a fourth quarter when it matters, right? You know, give him chances to make to make those plays at, at the end of a game. Yeah. I think one of the thing that's interesting about, you know, kind of those losses to those best teams is none of them did the other team like score that many points outside of Baylor, but you kind of expect that from, you know, Baylor. Um, you know, everyone else was under eighty points, so it's not like they got the score run up on them and they didn't lose like eighty to forty something, but um yeah I think they just need to figure out more ways to score is going to be a big thing for them um and I mean obviously a lot of that comes back to those two star players and just making sure they're getting them the ball but also having pieces around them that can kind of put the ball through the hoop as well when they're getting a lot of the defensive attention yeah and it's not not to get too dark just with the outlook on them but it's it it is an important season you know because next year those two players are gone so you know you, you take them off the books and you want to, for the conference at large, obviously, and just for that program individually, like you want to be able to say, oh, hey, look at what we, we got to this point last season, you know, the hypothetical where, I don't know. And like I said, even the number of wins might not matter, but hey, look at, you know, look at our margin when we were playing these teams, look at what we got to. And that's, you know, I think that's, that makes them an interesting story for, for what, you know, the Pac-12 wants to keep saying, right, is we're the best. Well, I think this is this is kind of becomes an interesting subplot in that. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, you got to being the best this year is great, but finding a way to stay the, the best is another story, obviously, especially with a lot of the senior talent that's in the conference this year. So pivoting to kind of some of the things that we've seen happen so far back more at the top of the conference. Um, we haven't really talked about, you know, Stanford at Thanksgiving. I think they kind of flew under the radar on their Thanksgiving tournaments because they didn't lose and there wasn't any big upsets like we saw, you know, Oregon or um, Baylor. But they had a really strong showing in their Thanksgiving tournament as well with the win over Syracuse, which was a big one, and then a big win over Mississippi State as well. Kind of any big takeaways from those wins? Well, one, just to get out of the way, we already talked about some of the injuries they're dealing with. Thankfully for them, Kiana Williams is fine. She left that Mississippi State game at the very end where Mississippi State ended up getting a chance to win as as Stanford kind of unraveled a little bit, as you'd expect, without without their point guard out there. And as as deep as they are, like that's that would be the biggest blow to them is they you know, that you still have to price in you know, the other thing with Kiana too is she's basically she's at the point where she's playing forty minutes. They can just play her the whole game. So and that that's the biggest drop off for them. You know, they can afford. You know, they've played they played without DJ Carrington. Their wing depth is that good. They have a bunch of bodies up front, but they cannot. You know, that's the biggest drop off for them. They can't have Kiana not playing to her normal standard or to just be out entirely. But with with. The most exciting thing for me to first Stanford was as fun as that Mississippi State game was. I wish it were on TV, somewhere people had seen it. But the Cal Baptist game was, I thought, the most interesting because it just Cal Baptist was just taking it to them, and to some degree, you would probably just say they came out hot. They're going to give Stanford their best shot, all that stuff. But you know, that was to me that was kind of a signature Fran Believe moment where if you know, to date, I think you you would have to say Haley Jones has been the best freshman in the conference, and and obviously for Stanford throughout this whole non-conference stretch. But the best individual performance from a freshman, I think, was Fran in that game because when they put her in there, not it was Nadia Fingal scored whenever she wanted, but they needed Fran out there to have someone that could sit in a stance that could cover a lot of ground because Cal Baptist was spreading them out and their point guard, were, point guard was just carving them up and they started switching everything and Fran just was able to make that work and nobody else in their front court can do that. So that, that was a really, that was a, that was a big moment to remember for them where 
obviously against an Oregon and Oregon State, they might have to lean on Fran in a similar way. So it, in hindsight, I think you like you might look back and saying like Cal Baptist like did Stanford like one of the best possible favors they could and they'll be testing him like that. And that was it was it was a big moment for Fran and that's kind of again, it circles back to would have been great for that to be on on television because this heralded, you know, freshman class and it was a big moment for one of the very notable ones. Yeah, and I think it's not the first time that Stanford's gotten tested this year. They also had that overtime game against Gonzaga, which is obviously a better opponent, but still kind of, you know, down to the wire. Those kind of situations, getting them early on in the schedule definitely helps prepare you for down the road, especially in Pac-12. We could see quite a few of those kind of down to the wire or time type situations among those top three teams. Um, So kind of getting those under your belt early and figuring out how to deal with that and how to switch things up to handle it is always good experience. Yeah. And, and for the number one team in the country too, another thing like playing three of their big games that weren't on television definitely goes into it. Lexi holds their leading scorer and last season more or less was, was kind of like a lost season for her. She missed, she only missed nine games. I think it was, but while she was out, Lacey's took her, her twin sister took her spot in the starting lineup and, she just never really found she, – she didn't look like this. She wasn't as comfortable shooting the ball, and having an off season and a full season under her belt definitely played into that. But, you know, it's just it's just a strange – you know, it's a strange thing that it you feel like, you know, it, when when the sport reaches the point where so many of us hope it reaches, the, the number one team having, like, a, a leading scorer who was kind of just, you know, her job was to stand around and catch and shoot last year. That would kind of be, a, like, a huge story. And it's just – it's one of those things that you just – it's it's fast, it's fascinating and it's it's frustrating at the same time to see that, you know, something like that can't get discussed as, as it deserves. Yeah, definitely. Especially can, when it's coming from the number one team in the country and a team that should be getting a lot of attention. Um, but yeah, we just don't unfortunately see it as much as it should. I actually didn't even like know until today that she was their leading scorer. I hadn't like, I was going back and looking at the stats and what things are like fairly even across kind of some of their bigger players. I mean, she's at 14, they've got others at 10 and 11 and 12, but, um, yeah, something that should be talked about more considering just like the difference between last season and this season. Yeah, and I, I wanted us to get to Oregon State next and maybe just just what what to make of them being number four and it's the highest ever and and maybe it'd be fun too to just relitigate like the whole top top seven, top eight ish kind of parlayed with Gina Oriema's recent comment about, you know, hey, we're not actually the number two team in the country. I, I like I think just before just like just Oregon State, I think that's interesting to just if you look at this, I would say like top seven is where I probably draw one draw one line. Like what like what do you, what do you actually make of that rank? You know, put your put your voting cap on for a second. What do you what do you actually make of those rankings? What do you feel? What have we learned about those teams? You know, is has one of them surprised you more than the others? And just would you totally would you totally shake that up if you tried, if you were asked to do it today? Yeah, I think I'd still have Stanford on the top. I think they've played enough strong games and won them all to kind of prove that they belong in that spot. But I think Oregon State belongs even higher than they are. And I realize they're at four, but I think they're still undefeated and they have some big wins, um, which are maybe kind of flying under the radar just maybe because people aren't as familiar with them as like, you know, UConn or. Thing, but they've got wins over DePaul, went over to Missouri State, which is a huge mid-major win. I think Missouri State might be ranked as well. And then a win over Miami as well. So three really solid kind of wins on their schedule so far. Um, and even went over Pacific, which is, you know, kind of not like a top team, but a team that's doing decent this year as well. I think they've got a stronger kind of resume so far than a team like UConn does. Like, yes, UConn has not lost, but they haven't really beat any huge teams other than I guess you could say, you know, that Ohio State win looks a little bit better now that Louisville lost to them. But And they'll play DePaul, you know, tonight. So I guess by the time this is out, they'll have possibly either beaten or lost to DePaul. But 
Um, I kind of have Oregon State higher up there. I think the team that surprised me the most is Louisville. I think heading into the season, you just didn't really know kind of what you were going to get from some of those players that were coming back and then the new pieces there uh, just because, you know, they lost, you know, Asia Durr, obviously, but then they also lost Erica Carter and Sam Fearing, who are kind of two of their other biggest players last season. So it was a lot of kind of holes to fill, but they've obviously come out strong. That went over Oregon and then they did fall to Ohio State, but not a bad loss. So it's been interesting to follow. And then they just beat Kentucky this weekend as well. So another big win for them there. To go to go back to UConn, if you had to pick right now, what would you say their best win is? Is it just Ohio State because of the fact that they, Ohio State beat Louisville? Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like the win over Notre Dame. As much as like Notre Dame has fallen a lot, at least it was like a big point differential win, which I think we haven't really seen as much from UConn as we're accustomed to. You know, them running up thirty points on another team. Um, it hasn't been like the theme of the season like it usually is, but I would probably say. That, yeah, Ohio State or that Seton Hall win is another one that kind of maybe a contender are probably their best wins. Yeah, I I, I wonder with with voters, I think this, it's like if, if two if two longtime voters wanted to start a podcast too, like I think that'd be a great opportunity. Yeah. Cause, because with just with just voting on a poll, it, it also gets into, in large part, I think, people kind of have to be divided into two camps, right? Are you really going to weigh what just happened versus what do you really feel we already knew about these teams? And are you going to kind of let that compass guide you a little more, right? Like Baylor, Baylor was, Baylor was at the top until they lost, right? Mm -hmm. But what were the, what's the context of that loss? Their best, their best player wasn't playing at all. Right. So yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to slap you with this, you know, bump down for losing to a fellow top team because your best player didn't play, right? Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I think when I look at Baylor at seven, I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. But as soon as they say, hey, Lauren Cox is cleared to play, they better, you know, move up quite a bit on here. I don't know. I'd say they're probably, in my opinion, they're probably the best team in the country when Lauren Cox is healthy. Um and I think that's, I don't think we've seen a real timetable, but I think it was kind of like they were hoping she'd be healthy for Thanksgiving. She wasn't the rest of their schedule until like the new year isn't that tough. So maybe not why risk it until then. So I don't know that we'll see her before 2020, but I think when she's back, I mean, right off the bat, they'll play UConn. I think it's like the second week of January. So we'll see kind of one of those top seven clashes, but. I'd have them at the top when Lauren Cox is healthy. Yeah. And that, that's what makes this funny. Like at the, at the same time, I've said it over and over, like I don't spend the hours <laughs> every week that these people do. I'm not, you know, not trying to diminish what they do. So, but at the same time, it, it's nice that we have this, but you can also look at it in some ways and you can just rip it all up. And <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. What and I mean, was, what was the last team you were getting to before I jumped in there? Uh, I don't know if I was getting to anyone else. I would just say that, like, you know, that top seven, I still think what we know so far isn't enough to tell me that, like, any team is, like, the best or the worst of that group. I think really any given night, any of those teams could beat each other. So I don't think I have a strong opinion, you know, on where everyone should fall and have opinions, but it's not, like, there's definitely not a wrong answer, I think. Anyway, you kind of shake up that top seven. And, and we're in this, although this is a Pac-12 podcast, we haven't, <laughs> we've spent some time if, in what might look like a detour, but really it's, it, really it's not because we're, we're going to, we're getting to Oregon State eventually we'll get, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in a way I kind of wonder too, it, you know, if, if we keep saying, Hey, look, there's so much parody over and over again, it, you know, are you really just saying it for the sake of saying it? Is kind of something I've been asking myself. And if you look at this top seven, I don't think there's much surprise in that group. I think all, all seven of those teams are capable of winning the national title this year. Outside of that group, I would probably, I would have to throw Texas A&M in there. And outside of that, 
I don't think I would feel all that bad for leaving anyone else out, or at least drawing a clear line at that point. So I, so one, you know, what, I guess kind of what's your number, you know, for me, it was eight right there. And just, I, I, I guess kind of just, what do you make of that? Because, you know, if, if I'm really boiling it down, you know, I think there are eight teams that can win it all. And that number, I believe that was my number last year. And that was the number that a lot of people had too. So is it, you know, is it really that different? Yeah, I think my line this year, I'd probably have it around nine or 10. I might throw Maryland in there. They haven't been, I think, as good as we expected them so far. Um, but I think a team that just brought so much back from last year that definitely has potential to be there. And then I'd also throw Florida State up there as well. Um, but, yeah, there's not that much change from last year. I would say my number was probably seven last year. I don't know that I would have had, you know, Iowa in that really could win it all group. Um, I think it would have just been your top seven um, seeds from, or yeah, top seven teams from last year. But it is kind of worth noting that it's not that much different. I think we're starting to see maybe some more, you know, early season upsets or not, you know, every, UConn winning by 40 points over everyone they play type deal. But, or same thing with like someone like Oregon, but it's maybe not as changed as we're saying seem keep saying yeah what the what we what we do have is that is we have i think you're seeing a bigger you know the different the different levels are starting to grow you know where i don't think every year you would say yeah eight teams can win it all that's obvious that's the obvious one right, right. but then you know the, the level below that you know and, and indiana is the team in that range right now you know them beating south carolina Great accomplishment. South Carolina should have been favored in that game. But is that who Indiana really was? Because that's how they're being treated now. And maybe that's just what, you know, they always should have been seen as. And uh, to to finally transition out of that, I'll say I, I did have eight last year. And that reminds me, Oregon State was my eighth that I had. The, the one the one non-top two, two eventual seed in the tournament. So... To finally, to finally get to Oregon State, and just their them as a clear cut contender, and just what has really changed for them, you know, I think the big thing is is has been Taylor Jones inside the true freshman, just doing a good job, doing just finishing around the rim. They can post her up a little bit, and a little more fluid of a player than what they had at the five position last year. And that we knew, we knew they had these guards and for, for me, it's, it kind of starts there where they have someone that is already showing to be a little bit of a threat at the beginning of the season. And if you're really building the case, you would say, well, imagine how good she's going to look in game 30 compared to game nine. Exactly. Yeah, that's always a big thing with freshmen is when you've got them starting out hot like that. You could expect that they're probably going to be better by the end of the season. You do have to worry about kind of, you know, that freshman wall that some players hit when they start out really well. Sometimes, you know, midseason, they kind of hit a wall a bit, um, which especially with the tough Pac-12 schedule could be a bit of an issue for them if she hits that. But come March, yeah, I expect she'll be a really big threat inside to anyone that Oregon State plays. People are going to have a hard time handling her. And the the you using the word wall there was was fitting because with with like with Jones and just the 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 national title picture it looks much different at the center position with Kalani Brown and Tierra McCowan gone. The, like those those two players just by themselves even on you know, a, a lower tier, you know, number 18 team in the country, all season kind of team. Like those two players, if you just run too many teams, if you just run into them, there's just nothing you're going to be able to do. You're going to lose to them. They're just that big and that strong. And even for some of the really good teams, that was just so much bigger a matchup problem than it was for others. As like, even in, you know, Baylor against Oregon, as we saw, you know, Oregon's got Ruthie Hebert, who's going to be drafted probably in the first round. Really good player, has some moves, but okay, she's guarded by Kalani Brown and Lauren Cox today. They're, we're not going to throw her the ball. And and Ruthie was a little banged up at that point of the season, but 
that point probably still stands. And so I think that's what makes this season interesting is, I, you know, who would you say, you know, is there one, and there might be a freshman, I, I, I'm guessing he might go to for another team, but, you know, is there some big inside where you just look at as like, that's someone that one of these teams is really gonna have to go through and might, and might just by themselves just swing, swing a matchup. Yeah, I think you're probably guessed who I was going to say. It was probably Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina, but then yeah. she's a freshman. So the thing with freshmen, and we've seen it already with Boston kind of in you know the highs and lows of South Carolina's game so far, is a lot of that team runs through her right now. And when she's good, she's so good. And it makes South Carolina really, really good. But kind of as you saw in like the Indiana game, she got in foul trouble. She wasn't really that effective for them. And you know they lost, and that was kind of a big factor for them so it'll be kind of she's probably the most dominant center I kind of want to say right now but um again with freshman struggles so by next year though I don't think anyone's gonna want to have to face South Carolina in the point yeah and and before Baylor fans gets mad Baylor fans get mad it's like yeah your front line's still really good but you don't have Kalani anymore every 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 waking moment Kalani Brown had two feet on the floor no one could move her other than maybe Tierra McCowan. So like, you just can't, <laughs> you just can't replace that. Um, so some more on Oregon state. I don't know if, how much, how much more we had there, you know, them, them getting cat tutor back on the floor is obviously huge. And them having four really good guards, you know, as long as, as long as, you know, right now it's tutor, as long as the one coming off the bench, isn't, you know, upset that they're not a starter you know, I don't see that as a problem. You know, you still have the, the great thing for them is Aaliyah Goodman and Destiny Slocum can both run the point for them. Michaela Pivik obviously has the ball in her hands a ton. So really any combination they use with those four is going to work. And the, the really interesting thing for them is when they play Oregon and some of these tournament matchups is what happens if they put all four out there and, and Corsdale going down might force them to do that but if they if they get there like that that's going to be really hard to stop Mm -hmm. definitely it kind of changes the game but having four guards out there on the floor can just be totally different kind of style of play too which can definitely throw an opponent off um so it'll be and they're really all four really strong players so it'll be fun to watch if and when that happens all right so we've we've hit on stanford and oregon state should we say should we uh is there anything we want to get to with Oregon? And I, I haven't had I haven't had a ton to say, and I, I'm breaking one of my own rules that I tried to make myself for the season, which was really it was just you know don't don't take Sabrina for granted because you know what Oregon is the the point they've reached now. We've obviously seen that they have they have some monster recruiting classes lined up, and they already have Niara Sabli and Sedona Prince. You know a a, a you know, what, what you would hope is a superstar front court pairing for multiple years to come that, you know, just isn't even playing right now. But I've, I've tried to tell myself, like, don't, you know, I, I remind myself, don't take this for granted because this doesn't happen without Sabrina. All the other stuff is awesome, but it's the best player in college basketball. And I've, I've broken my rule because I don't feel like I have a ton to say about them at this point in the season. Yeah. I feel like part of it is just, you know, they've kind of, met expectations like everyone's knew that coming into the season Sabrina was going to be really good Ruthie Hebert's going to be really good Santi Savoli is going to be really good and they all three of them have been really good and they're winning except with the exception of that Louisville game because the three of them can kind of do it all um so even if they you know are a little thinner on the bench with those you know Prince's waiver getting denied and then the injury to the other Savoli um, they're still really, really strong. And for pretty much any team in the country, those three shutting that down is going to be next to impossible. Um, you know, maybe that, you know, kind of top seven tiers got a chance of, you know, halting them. Louisville's game plan against them was definitely interesting and effective. But yeah, not a whole lot to say that I don't think, you know, most people are already talking about, but I think we'll be saying, you know, Sabrina Ruthie and Satu's names quite a bit this season, and especially heading into the Pac-12 regular season. Um, there'll be a lot of, if Oregon gets the wins again against like an Oregon State or a Stanford, you know, it's going to be 
one or multiple of them on the headline as to why they get there. So, yeah. And in my defense, like the margin of victory in some of these games, you know, 42, 57, 36, even Oklahoma State and Syracuse, they beat by 17 each. Uh, another win by 37. The loss to Louisville, 39 over a pretty banged up South, or not, they had a couple players out, I think, South Dakota State. So that that couldn't really live up to be the test you maybe would have hoped for. And then they, uh, being Long Beach State and UC Riverside, Satu Sabli, I guess, is a little banged up right now. I think she ended up playing like 12 minutes in that Long Beach State game and didn't play against then early tip today against UC Riverside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jazz Shelley apparently hit 10 threes. I, I mean, that's something to talk about, yes. like tying in, <laughs> tying in with the, with the Louisville plan. You know, if I'm, I'm not worried about, you know, somebody doing that to Mignon more, daring her to shoot, you know, especially now that they've seen it. Mm-hmm. Now they have the rest of the season to, you know, get their counters ready. And then, you know, if you, if you, but if you were really going to try to worry about it and make it a story, then the performances of, Jazz Shelley, Taylor Chavez, a couple of, other, of those guards that have had some big games shooting the three, that's probably, that's a thing to follow. Exactly. Yeah, they've certainly got plenty of players that can hit the three other team if many more can't. So, yeah, and also agree that, you know, they've seen it now. They're ready. They can prepare for it and adjust for it. Um, so that shock factor is kind of gone, which I think is a lot of what helped Louisville beat them, which just kind of that shock factor of the game plan and not being able to adjust on the fly. Um, so yeah, not something I'm super concerned about for them going forward too. Yeah. And, and like with that Louisville game, I want to say too, like it was it, another, you mentioned the shock value. It was interesting. I think there was a little bit of a, I want to word this carefully. I, I, I'm totally speculating and saying this, but I think, I think Kelly Graves kind of had his mind made up with how he was going to coach that game. I will say, and again, I'm, I'm just like throwing this at the wall. Like Louisville knew exactly. And specifically Dana Evans knew exactly what they needed to do against Oregon's pick and roll defense, which they don't, they just don't have awesome personnel. They don't have very many options they can turn to. They knew exactly what to do against that to score and how to pick at the weakest links. And in a winner in a do or die, you know, scenario, rather than th- third game in three days, you know, they're not going to just die on that hill. They're going to go in a zone and they're really big with, even with that main group out there. So it, that, that part of it too, will look much different, you know, as much as, you know, Louisville's defense was a story too, like Oregon, Oregon sticking in man to man, you know, it seemed it kind of just seemed like, all right, let's, let's do this just to do it. And, you know, it makes for a good lesson if we get beat trying to do this. Agreed. Yeah. And even coming back to like Louisville's defense, like, yes, it disrupted Oregon, but Oregon is still, I think probably unquestionably the best offensive team in the country. Um, And nine times out of 10, they're probably still going to find a way to score even when, you know, they've got some new game plan or new opposition thrown at them. Um, So probably more of an anomaly than something we'll see a lot this season. And, uh, to close on Oregon, you know, I, I, to the point earlier, like, again, it's like, you know, I think it's really important to guard kind of the enthusiasm for what we see with this team. And, you know, but what will help is, you know, it'll be nice to be able to say like, Hey, Oregon's half, you know, it's the media timeout in the third quarter and they're not up by 25 yet. You know, that, that'll help a little bit too, to help kind of mm-hmm. make sure people have to have to tune in too. But I think a, f- a fun, I'll throw this out as a fun game as in conference of those top three teams who loses first. And that really, I guess, comes down to, you know, Stanford plays the Washingtons and then they play Cal before they play the Oregon teams. And uh, the or and then Arizona will have their chance against Oregon and Oregon State. So getting into a more of a prediction mode, you know, really it is. You know, do you think uh, 
do you think Arizona pulls off one or both of those wins at home? And then, you know, if you had to say today that first run Stanford makes through Oregon, uh, how do you think, you know, just knowing what you know now, you know, how do you think those that weekend plays out too? Yeah, so I think Arizona State, or not Arizona State, sorry, Arizona, if Oregon State is still kind of banged up with some of the injuries, they could have a good shot at, you know, kind of winning that one. Um, I don't know if I think it'll happen, though. I'm on the fence on that, but as far as that Stanford, um, Oregon, the first, you know, kind of top three, if you want to call it that, matchup in the Pac-12, it's home for Stanford, um, I, I still think Stanford's taking it at home. So I will to have some fun with this as a prediction. I will go with, I'll take Arizona to knock off Oregon state at home when they get to that game. And then that first one for Stanford is those games are in Oregon. I'm going to go with, oh, yeah. I was looking at yeah. that, I think. <laughs> I'll go with so you can you can change yours if you want. I'll go with I'll go with Oregon to come out on top on that one and then Stanford to put uh to put Oregon State in a in in panic mode with two losses already. <laughs> yeah, I would second that. I'll give um, you know, it's at Stanford's at Oregon, so I think they will um, get that Oregon will get that win, but yeah, I'll pick Oregon State to beat Stanford at home still. All right. That's good. That's good. We've disagreed on things. <laughs> right? Like right? Like that's the and it, it just that's how it played out. I mean that's <laughs> that should be the goal. People yeah. <laughs> no yes. no no group think on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think we've I think we've done a pretty good job hitting on most most things here. You know, I think uh, Arizona State and USC are the two teams we haven't. I think those, yeah, those are the only two we haven't mentioned at all. Arizona State, I'm sorry, like score some more points. And, but they, they, you know, they've they've earned they've earned enough respect where you still watch and you still right. know they're probably gonna, you know, there's gonna be at least one game where you're gonna check the score and it's like, oh man, they have no business being in this game. <laughs> and but that, I mean, that's what you want. You know, they they have an yeah. identity. They it's not always the most aesthetically pleasing, but, and, and they've, they've, they're another team. Maybe, maybe somebody emerges the a newcomer or somebody that not playing a ton and, and USC just isn't healthy. I think that's the disappointing thing for them. You know, the one, the one time I caught them in person was against Texas A&M and that was, you know, really they made that a game basically all the way through, which was, and Stephanie Watts, the notable North Carolina transfer wasn't even playing and she's been, she's been out of the lineup for most of the non-conference. So that's in a way, you know, that's, that's kind of another one of these, you know, one of these teams at the bottom where maybe, maybe you're a little worried about them, but for them, it might be a little different than Washington state where they just, they haven't had everybody, everybody healthy and we'll see how that actually ends up playing out. But did you have a, a closing thought or anything that we didn't, we didn't get to? Yeah, I'll just add one more thing on Arizona State is like like you said, they need to score more points. They can't seem to shoot the ball to save themselves so far. But one thing worth noting is that they're like the best offensive rebounding team in the country so far, on not just in a like count basis, but in a percentage basis as well. Like forty eight percent or so of their um missed shots they are getting the rebound on. So if they start making some more of those, uh, teams will need to look out. <laughs> well, they're giving themselves plenty of chances to get to get those offensive rebounds. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if you know if they can start putting the finding a way to score, they'll be in much better shape. But we'll see if that shakes out or not for them. Yeah. To and and like to that point, you know, I think it was they were home. La- I mean, they they were part of like one of the most uh, memorable, not memorable, the most exciting. Uh, finishes like a regular season game all season last year. They had Utah at home and they had something like a off the top of my head it was like a seventeen zero run in the fourth quarter, and they ended up winning that game. and And like this is this is the team that you know a year ago, a six point loss to Baylor, and a two point loss to Louisville. You know, so that they've they've 
lost a couple really important offensive players and they're going through that process of trying to, you know, they've got to give those shots to somebody else. And right now there isn't an obvious candidate to just step into those roles. Um, but we'll see. They've got, they've got, they play Creighton uh, coming up this weekend. That's another one, another one of the main more notable non-conference games to watch. I think they're streaming that on their website. So if someone wants to get a, a look at them and, Maybe they're ready to just flip the switch, and they've they've got it all figured out on offense. That would be a that'd be a big help getting ready for their their uh, opener at Arizona, or they host Arizona, and maybe that'll be a maybe that'll be kind of the ceremonial kind of changing of the guard, or maybe where maybe Arizona kind of steps in, kind of seizes control of of superiority in the state. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, that's all for our Pac-12 breakdown episode. As always, make sure that wherever you're listening to us, you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast, review us. It helps others find us and our content. Also, if you like what you're seeing or hearing on the podcast, make sure you check out our articles over on Medium and then also the site at herhoopsats.com. We also just launched a newsletter, which you can subscribe to. Um, So lots of great stuff going on from the Her Hoopsats team. And like I said earlier, this is our last episode of 2019 for the unplugged version of the podcast. So happy holidays, everyone, and looking forward to chatting with you more in 2020. Whoa.